0: you have a a Bible with you, could you turn to the passage that your minister read just a few moments ago, Matthew chapter 8, and it's the short section, verses 14 to 17. But before we get into it, can I say a word of thanks to Andy for inviting me to come and preach this evening. It was an invitation that I readily and gladly accepted. It's lovely to be here with you again, and my my wife Kathleen's also with me this evening just to keep a check on me. But anyway, as we look at this passage... Uh, Essentially, what we're reading here, what we're learning from this passage, is that the Lord Jesus heals a mother-in-law and also many. He heals a mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, and also many people. And as we, if we were, for instance, to study Matthew's account of the gospel in a one hour this evening, and in particular the whole of chapter 8 and 9, we cannot help But notice the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks and he teaches and he acts as one who had more than human authority, more than human ability, whether it was in the majesty of his teaching or in the power displayed in his miracles, divine authority in Jesus but we also see some other characteristics in the Lord Jesus. He is available, he is approachable, he is accessible even to the most needy and desperate in society. This section of Matthew's Gospel, chapters 8 and 9, is rich in recording the miraculous power and authority of the Lord Jesus. Chapter 8 begins, as we read earlier, with a report of the Lord Jesus miraculously healing a leper, verses 1 to 4, and then in verses 5 to 13, the Lord Jesus is miraculously healing a Roman centurion's serp, uh, servant. Later in this chapter, we read of the Lord Jesus miraculously calming a storm, which the psalmist tells us, Psalm 107, is only something that only God can do. And the chapter ends with the Lord Jesus miraculously delivering two men from their demon possession, verses 28 to 34. But that's not all. The next chapter begins with the Lord Jesus miraculously healing a paralyzed man. And in the middle of all this Short, though the passage is only four verses, it contains reports of our Lord Jesus healing a mother-in-law and follows this up with an amazing number of miraculous healings. But before we get into each of these in a specific way, perhaps it would be profitable for us uh, to spend a moment or two thinking of the why and the what purpose of Christ's miracles. We read in verse 17, this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had said, had foretold. Viewed biblically, there are at least four reasons or purposes to the miracles that Christ performed. They were signs of who Jesus was or is. Isaiah 53 is the supreme prophecy of the suffering servant on the cross of Calvary, the crucifixion of someone special, the Messiah, but earlier in uh, Isaiah's prophecy, we read a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah in verses uh, chapter thirty five verses five to seven that when the Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind would be opened, the ears of the deaf. Unstopped, the lame would leap, and so on. Secondly, miracles were to bring people to faith in Christ. John 14, verse 11, the Lord Jesus says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. And see in this chapter, verse 27. At the coming of the storm, the disciples asked, What kind of man is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Thirdly, the miracles of Christ were also a herald of the coming new heaven and new earth. The bringing in of God's ultimate purpose. You read about this in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. <clears throat> the cow and the bear shall graze, their young ox shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand On the other's den, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then the fourth reason, and there may be more, but I can think of at least four. The fourth reason for the miracles is perhaps more obvious to help needy people out of their situation of need and distress. Christ's miracles, among other things, were acts of mercy and compassion. So, in the light of these four biblical reasons, let us look at the miracles in this wee passage, each in turn as they are narrated to us by Matthew. I promise you, no mother-in-law jokes. I uh, <coughs> they, uh, think they're probably out of fashion uh, in our uh, culture today, non-PC, although they used to be rife, and I have to say, I have to confess that I've enjoyed most of them. <coughs> but our culture is vastly different from the culture in Israel in Jesus' day, especially regarding women. But here we see Jesus applying the counterculture of his new heaven and new earth to this situation. Then... Women and girls were regarded as less important than men and boys, but not so with the Lord Jesus. So here we see the compassion of Christ, the Messiah, Savior. Now the Apostle Mark, or the writer Mark, in his account of this story, tells us that it took place on the Sabbath day after the service in the synagogue. Now, here's a question. Had Jesus been invited for lunch to this house? Or was he paying what we would pastorally refer to as a, a sick call, sick visit? We don't actually know, but if it was primarily a sick call, it results in him staying for lunch, served to him by the lady who had been ill. So, what do we see in this short passage? the Lord of glory is merciful and compassionate to a sick elderly woman. The maker of heaven and earth is merciful, remember the culture, to a mere woman. The heaven sent Messiah is interested in someone, remember the culture of the time, as insignificant as a woman. We read the contact of Jesus, he touched her, tells us of the condescension of Christ. Now, such behavior, would to say the least, have been very uncommon then. It might even have been regarded by some to have been inappropriate behavior, but not for Jesus. His condescension, his touch, was a physical human expression of his messianic mercy. It was a demonstration of his divine power and authority. And the result, the compassion of Christ, the condescension of Christ, the contact of Christ led to her immediate cure by the Lord Jesus Christ. He touched her hand. The fever left her. Imagine the rejoicing in Peter's home that Sabbath day such joy, such happiness, such gladness of heart, but we notice something else. She got up and began, depending on the translation used, began to wait on him, began to serve him, began to see to his needs. The compassion, the contact, the cure by Christ are followed by the commitment of the woman to the Lord Jesus Christ. What could an old lady do for Jesus? Well, can I tell you that uh, with over 50 years, yes, I am that old, over 50 years experience of pastoral visiting as an elder in the church, old ladies are dab hands at making cups of tea for visitors. Whatever was the beverage of that age we can assume that she waited on jesus as she did so it meant that she was looking after him and did so through the common expressions of hospitality her messiah had cured her and now she wants to serve him this is the proper and exemplary expression of her commitment to Jesus. <clears throat> what can I do for him? How can I serve him? You may think I've only a few talents, only a few abilities, and as I'm getting older, I'm losing them. But such as God has invested in me, in you, we should now use to serve his son, our Savior. And by his divine compassion, Christ raised her and she now seeks to serve him. And in a lovely way, this old lady is an example to us of what all Christians should be. Perhaps some of us here are uh, sufficient vintage to remember an old hymn that we would have sung in Sunday school years ago. There's a work for Jesus ready at her, your hand. It articulates the attitude and the action of Peter's mother-in-law. Here are the words. There's a work for Jesus, ready at your hand. Tis a task the master, just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding. Yield him service to. There's a work for Jesus, none but you can do. There's a work for Jesus, humble though it be, "'Tis the very service, he would ask of thee, "'go where fields are white and under laborers few. "'There's a work for Jesus none but you can do.'" Whether man or woman, all are now now one in Christ Jesus. All have been elevated, man and woman, to the high level of sonship through which the inheritance comes level of sonship and we express this sonship through service to our God we see this in Matthew chapter 25 in the passage describing the final separation of the sheep from the goats in verses 34 to 40 then the king will say to (coughs) those on his right hand come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And also in chapter 27, verse 55, we read there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus From Galilee to Jerusalem, ministering, we read, ministering to him. Now that is service. Christ is the Savior of all kinds of people for the needy, for the weak, for the insignificant, for the vulnerable, for the unimportant, for the marginalized, for the unimpressive, the uneducated, the neglected, the unskilled, the outcast, the uninfluential, and the rejected of society. As the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to bring to nothing, to nullify the things that are. What a wonderful Saviour we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, we read he healed many who were demon possessed. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the reality of demonic beings. Away so, back in Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan subtly deceiving Eve to believe his word rather than the word of God. Demonic possession and demonic activity are mentioned in the New Testament too, of course. True, we may not be too familiar with this in our secular culture, and that may be because Satan and his demons are camouflaged somewhat, but busy nonetheless. Busy within professing Christendom and churches where the Word of God and the Gospel has been displaced with something else. Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, writes, Now the Holy Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. In some other cultures, demon possession is more open and obvious, associated with idols. But what we learn here is that demon-possessed people have been liberated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's mother-in-law was cured by a touch. Here the demon-possessed are freed by a word. And as Satan in Genesis 3 used words to deceive Eve, here Christ used his words to dispatch demons. Those who are possessed by evil spirits are under the domination of Satan, but Christ is more powerful than Satan and all the hosts of hell. As the words of Satan brought misery and ruination to Eden, then more so the word of God, ultimately his gospel, is the message that brings liberty, freedom, new life, new ownership, new creation, new destiny, demon possession is replaced by the possession of the Holy Spirit of Christ in people's lives. See here also a preview into the new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. The Christian's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 12, we read that Christians are transformed transformed by the renewing of our minds... And the word transformed is metamorphosis, which is the process whereby a hairy caterpillar becomes a beautiful butterfly. I can appreciate with an abundance of hair. I may look like a caterpillar just now, but just wait till the new heaven and the new earth when things are changed round. With the full manifestation of the new heaven and new earth, we see the eternal doom of Satan and all his demons in Revelation chapter 20. Read it when you get home. And then we read in this passage, he healed all who were sick. No disease could stand defiant in the face of Jesus and prevail. And with the word that drove out the devil, the evil spirits, he also healed all who were sick. This, too, is a manifestation of the Messiah. These healing miracles also point us to Christ. Can Jesus heal today? Without a doubt. Does Jesus heal today? Yes, without a doubt. He is sovereign Lord and can and does do all his holy will. We can certainly pray for the healing of people. We should pray for their healing. And the answer lies The answer to our prayers lies with the Lord Jesus. He is the supremely sovereign, messianic Lord. That dimension of his is over everything that we are studying tonight. New miracles, his miracles rather, are heralds of the new heaven and the new earth. As Christ's death, what we call the atonement, is the defeat of Satan or as John Owen, the Puritan writer, put it, the death of death and the death of Christ, as his death is the defeat of Satan, as the atoning death of Christ is the defeat of all his and our enemies, especially as seen through its manifestation by his resurrection, then we should not forget this aspect of his miracles. In the resurrection, our self-same bodies that have died and are buried are raised incorruptible and immortal. And as gold dust is precious to a jeweler, even more so is our dust precious to him. And just think what a master craftsman jeweler can make with a small amount of gold dust, something really beautiful. How much more so will the Lord Jesus and his resurrection power do with our, us and our dust. We should look, therefore, to the final manifestation of all this as being the grand fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus. Some people here uh, will remember a, a, a real character, uh, the late uh, Tom Swanson, who was the minister of the West Church, in Inverness and prior to that holy town in Lanarkshire maybe not too many of you now looking around you're all look most of you look younger than me practically everybody apart from one or two yes (coughs) he had chronic ill health especially in his latter years and uh, including rampant arthritis and not long before he died I he and I were uh, happened to bump into each other at a preacher's conference in Creef. And I asked, how are you, Tom? And his answer is, there's nothing wrong with me that the resurrection won't sort. And I like that, I like that. Nothing wrong with me that the resurrection won't sort. A wee bit of application before we come to a conclusion. Looking back over this short passage, we can learn many lessons for ourselves and how we relate to others, especially to others in need. The question for us is not so much what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus have us do? Jesus did many things that we can do. He also did many things that we could never do. But he gives us tasks to do and wants us to do them. Here are a few. Care for the elderly and needy remember our first priority is to our families. Otherwise, we're told in Scripture, we're worse than infidels. This is a ministry of compassion Christ has devolved on us. Point people to Jesus. Non-Christian humanitarians can do many, inverted commas, good works and may be exemplary in how they do them. But the Christian must point people to Christ. We must always be ready to give a reason, an answer, for the hope that's within us. Remember the incident when the friends lowered their sick pal down through the roof, lowered them down to the feet of Jesus? What exactly was it they were doing? They brought their friend to Jesus. They brought him to the one who could help, and we must do the same. And then beware of the reality of the demonic. Don't be scared of them. We're not to be intimidated by them, nor do I think we should go seeking them out. But when we do come across them, remember Christ has defeated Satan and demons. They are defeated foes. Now, this, I believe, applies equally to meeting a voodoo witch doctor or a modernistic preacher who casts doubts on the Bible as being the word of God. Has God said? Did God really say? That goes back to Genesis 3. Who calls right, wrong, and wrong, right, and preaches a message other than the gospel and points the needy people to someone or something other than Christ. (coughs) Finally, There's a conclusion to come after the finally, by the way. Finally, one day, all sickness, disease, death, and demons will be swept away at the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. And Christ achieves all this through the resurrection of our bodies, not some sort of ethereal, ghostly eternity. No, the resurrection of the body in the renewed universe, heaven and earth is the final and fullest possible manifestation of the reality of Christ's eternal kingdom. Now the conclusion. Let's go back to Peter's mother-in-law. Following her, shall we say, liberation from disease, she showed her commitment to Christ by serving him. This is the proper response to the gospel In the gospel, Christ calls us to commitment. Firstly, we are to be committed to his person, the Lord Jesus. We start here with him. We start with the Son of God who is the Savior for all who call upon him. We must commit ourselves to him. Secondly, committed to a principle, living by faith in the person of Jesus. We live by trusting Christ as our Redeemer. We live in the fellowship of a vital union with the Lord Jesus. Saving faith is, after all, not merely an intellectual assent to doctrine does that, but as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, is a hearty trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we are to be committed to his people. Christ's people, Christ's family, all those who have been purchased by his shed blood, his church. The concept of being committed to being a hermit is absolutely absurd. We are to be committed to each other. Fourthly, we are to be committed to his practice. Service peter 's mother-in-law, when put right by Christ, then did things for Christ. She demonstrated her gratitude to Christ by serving Christ. Be it ever so humble. a cup of tea and a biscuit, or maybe two biscuits, to a needy person, when done as a response of faith, is itself a mighty demonstration of the reality of what faith does because it focuses on Jesus. Such service does not attempt to earn salvation or to buy our ticket to heaven. Rather, let this be our closing prayer. Let's pray. Lord, you've saved us. Now we want to do something for you to show how grateful we are where you're in need or where your people in need are in need if we can help then help us to be willing to do whatever you require of us as a loving response to you our savior and lord amen